hello, everyone. Welcome to the Compact Nation podcast with Campus Compact. But before we begin with that, I want to introduce my co-host, Andrew Seligson, president of Campus Compact. Hi, Andrew. Hello and good morning. And Emily Shields, our executive director of Iowa Campus Compact and Minnesota Campus Compact. Hi, Emily. Hey, hey. And I'm Marisol Morales, vice president for network leadership and also co-host of Compact Nation podcast. Welcome, everyone. Hello. So the Newman, we kind of touched on the Newman gathering a little bit last time, right? But now we get to really dive into it. We're diving in. We're digging in. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in in a variety of ways. So as a uh, reminder for everyone, the Newman Civic Fellows Program is our opportunity to celebrate, connect, learn from and learn with uh, some of the most community committed student civic leaders across the country. We have about 270 in the program. They're nominated by their presidents and chancellors. And we pull uh, the group together for a conference in person every year here in Boston at the Edward M. Kennedy Institute for the United States Senate. And while we were there, we took the opportunity to sit down with a couple of the fellows for a conversation. So there were four of us around the table. Uh, One was Evelyn Gonzalez. Evelyn is uh, the Philanthropy and Impact Fellow at Campus Compact this year. She is with us through the support of the Newman's Own Foundation. The fact that that's called Newman's Own and our program is called Newman Civic Fellows is total coincidence. There are different Newmans. Um, Evelyn was herself a Newman Civic Fellow, uh, graduated last year from Fresno State University and is now with us for the year. And she's been involved in helping to run the Newman Civic Fellows Program and organize the conference. And then we were joined by two of the fellows. One is Veronica Fernandez-Diaz, who is a student at Colorado College, and Alicia Jiggetts, who is a student at the University of Richmond. And uh, so we we sat down and talked about a range of issues, and we will go to that interview or conversation now. It is my pleasure to have the opportunity to have a conversation surrounding our Newman Civic Fellows Conference, and I am joined by three conversation partners. One is Evelyn Gonzalez, who works in our office at the National Campus Compact Office as a philanthropy fellow. So we're going to talk to Evelyn. Hello, Evelyn. Hi, Andrew. It's nice to be with you. Uh, We are also joined by Alicia Jiggetts, who is a criminal justice major at the University of Richmond. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you. Glad to be here. And Veronica Fernandez-Diaz, who is a sociology major at Colorado College. Welcome as well. Thank you so much. All right, Evelyn, I'd like to start with you. Can you just tell us a little bit about this Newman Civic Fellows Conference? What's this all about? Who's here? What are we going to be doing? Today we are celebrating our Newman Civic Fellows. Uh, We are going to have around 200 students here today, and we are going to help them network with each other, build um, leadership skills, and just motivate them even more to recruit other students to do what they're already doing. 
I'm excited that we are able to host this event in partnership with the Edward M. Kennedy Institute for the United States Senate. We are right now located inside their terrific facility out on Columbia Point in Boston, right next to the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library. And one of the things that we'll be doing is taking advantage of a an extraordinary Senate simulation that the Edward M. Kennedy Institute has developed that puts the fellows in the position of being real senators in a replica Senate chamber that's in this building. Uh, so that's a, a great opportunity that's really specific to this place. We'll also be involving our fellows in organizing and direct action workshops and other kinds of opportunities to hear from civic uh, and third sector leaders here in Boston. So I'm, I'm just really excited about the, the 48 hours that that is ahead of us. So I want to get into a little bit um, kind of the things that prompted your presidents to nominate you as Newman Civic Fellows, Alicia and Veronica, learn a little bit more about the work you're doing uh, back home in your, your communities. So Alicia, let's, let's start with you. Um, I know that you're involved in engaging people in understanding local government. Yes. So can you just talk a little bit about how do you do that? Uh, what, what's the practical work that you do? Awesome. I'd love to share. Um, so I began my journey into local government as a first year. When I arrived at the University of Richmond, I was really interested in learning more about law because I was intending a pre-law track. Um, so I was introduced to RVA Gov, which is a website where students uh, attend city council and school board meetings, and they report out on those meetings, and then they publish articles on a website that are shared with the campus community and the broader Richmond community. And getting that experience really helped me learn and grow more about the systems of oppression and the institutions um, that help to run a city. Um, and it really opened my eyes to a lot of the social justice issues present in a city that many people may not notice, especially being on a college campus when you're somewhat isolated and not really in touch with those issues. So really getting students to understand and connect with the city and to carry what they're interested in, be it their studies in health or business, and see how they can apply that by doing service in the community and getting hands-on learning experience has really been something I've become passionate about, and I've really wanted to share that with others by encouraging them to do so as well. Can, can you? I thought that was really interesting that for you, you see a connection between social justice issues and local government, which I think, I think many people, that's not where their mind goes when they first hear social justice. They think national issues. So can you just maybe give an example of how a social justice issue that's important from your perspective kind of has shown up in the local setting in Richmond? Definitely. So one social justice issue that's really been on my mind lately has been the school to prison pipeline and when we think about our broader U.S. criminal justice system and look at mass incarceration and how a lot of young black men are finding themselves incarcerated, we can look all the way back to your a school's disciplinary policies and see how that pipeline begins and sets a child up um, on that spiral towards incarceration with suspension for minor infractions, expulsions that lead students to be out of school more than in school, and just 
systems within the school with resource officers and teachers that really don't allow for a lot of students to reach their potential. And as a result, they end up engaging in activities that are relatively minor, but when add up, end up being like misdemeanors and felonies that they end up in the criminal justice system at a very young age. And so for me, it's amazing like seeing how little things like that that occur just in a school, a local school, can contribute to this national issue is so like interesting. And then one thing I've found is it's important to realize how much impact local government has on our lives. I think the national government is just so put there in our faces, but the local government feeds into that. Um, and the local government has the most proximity to our lives. And so it's very important to be aware of what they're doing because a lot of changes can be made that if you're not aware of, you may be thrown for a loop when something's going on in the community and you're like, well, how did this start? And you may find that a policy introduced six months ago is, is the cause. So it's important to keep up with that. Yeah, I think it's a great point in part because, as you said, first of all, local governments have big impact on our lives. And also, if you think the issue of mass incarceration, if you just focus on it at the national level, you think, what could I do about it? If you ask the question, what could I do about disciplinary policies in my local school district? All of a sudden, it sounds like maybe I could make an impact if I show up at the meeting, if I bring some friends who agree with me and start that conversation with people who might not already see it. So I think, yeah, that's great. That's uh, it, This is an issue I love to talk with people about. About. Like local government is right there. They have public meetings. You can show up. But I think it's so important to inform people about the issue. So that's it's exciting work to hear about. Veronica, let's uh, switch gears and, and dig in a little bit to the work that you're doing. So you have a focus on immigration related issues. And can you talk a little bit about kind of how that's shown up for you and, and, and what the work looks like? For sure. Um, yeah, I'm actually undocumented myself. I'm currently protected under DACA. Um, so this has been an issue that has been important to me throughout like even before college um, but in college it's shown up like with the admissions policies or even just the institu institutionalized support that we have on campus because a lot of it is missing since like I'm one of the first undocumented students that they've accepted um, so a lot of my work has been um, trying to get the, that support for undocumented students as well as creating resources that um, haven't existed before um, because when you have have a population that hasn't existed in that campus, um, there's like a lot of absence of like knowledge, really. Um, so I've been kind of the guinea pig in a way for um, a lot of like the like either the faculty or like the advisors um, because they've never worked with people like us before. Um, so getting them to like get that knowledge um, and making sure that we're visibilized because most of the time we're like invisible on campuses and for me it's important to to end to end that invisibilization um, because like we matter and like I feel like my presence on campus really makes a difference for those who hopefully come like after me. 
so I, I think that's, I mean, important and powerful. And I'm wondering for you, was that personally a difficult decision to to kind of step forward, given the risks that you might have perceived? What, what, what has that been like for you? For sure. I mean, I I mean, I'm in a predominantly white institution and that in itself is, you know, it's it's very hard to determine whether that is something that you want to come out with. Um, but at the same time, it's like I know that many people in my community have made a lot of sacrifices for me to even be in college in the first place. So for me to make not even like the to the same extent um, like that that level of sacrifice that they have made but like to make some sacrifice for me has been very important um, because I know that not everybody feels comfortable coming out and that's like totally okay as well um, but for me like knowing that there have been other people that have put their lives on the line for me makes me feel motivated to do the same even if other people don't want to, whether they want to or not like to show them that there's someone out there that's trying to support them even by just saying like I'm undocumented like I'm unafraid and I'm gonna be unapologetic about that like my status so in in the work that you're doing uh, at Colorado College and in your context are you connecting with national organizations? Where are you finding support for the, building the kinds of resources that, that you discussed earlier? Right. I think it's interesting because it's kind of been both inside and out of the institution. Like inside of the institution, I've been able to find um, like people that are very supportive of um, just like immigrant rights. Um, but at the same time, like outside organizations like United We Dream was one of the biggest ones. Um, so they're like the largest immigrant youth led um, organization in the nation. And like I went to protest in D.C. like in October last year. Um, and that was one of the most powerful experiences because I'm like one of few in my campus and yet like to see like so many undocumented people in like one place was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen um and like there you, you realize how much work people are doing in their own communities so then like I was able to bring that knowledge into my own community um and like st like contact like have that contact with them with people who have already done the work so it doesn't feel like I'm alone in like trying to do something for my institution so, yeah, I'm interested. Let's kind of pick up that thread a little bit. And I'm interested in maybe digging into where have you found support and allies sort of in your campus or otherwise? And and where, where do you find some challenges uh, in your work? Maybe, Alicia, let's let's start with you as you've kind of uh, worked to engage other students in learning about local government and connecting that to these social justice issues. What, what's the things that have kind of, you know, put some wind in your sails and what are the things that have been barriers along the way? That's a really interesting question. Um, so like Veronica, I also attend a PWI and it's also a school where we have a lot of students who are out of state. And I find that a lot of students who are out of state, I guess, feel like they have less to gain from learning about Virginia's government or even like the city's government, even though they're here and technically are residents for four years. So I found that there's kind of a lot of apathy sometimes on campus and a lot of people are just content with being 
stuck in a campus bubble and never really getting out into the community and learning about the community, which has always been something that bothers me as someone who's been out in the community for four years doing service and making connections with the city. Um, And then also, sometimes it's just really hard to get people to come along with what you're passionate about. So I've, over the years, like I've tried getting people to interact with me with local government and state government, um, doing things like going to the meetings or learning about what bills are going through the General Assembly and even like going to lobby days and things. And sometimes they'll say, oh, yes, that sounds interesting. But when it's time to follow through, they don't. And so one challenge that I've really had to overcome is realizing that it's okay sometimes to be the lone wolf and to be the lone warrior out there because I'd rather it just be me than give up just because no one else is helping me. Um, The institution has helped um, really foster my engagement with the local government. With the state, it's been a little bit more difficult just given that... um, to, to do the work that I'm interested interested in on the state level, I have to be a student organization and you can't be a student organization if you're just one person. Um, so um, that's been that's been hard, but I think that even though they don't let me, organize as a group, I feel like the university is supportive when they see what I've done. And I think that had a lot to do with why I received the Newman Fellowship, because sometimes you have to put yourself out there in the trenches if you want to make change. And that's something that I've shown that I've been willing to do over and over at the expense of, you know, um, missing class to talk to the General Assembly about a bill affecting higher education because my logic is you know if they cut my tuition I won't be able to attend this institution so I need to make sure they don't do that Um, and just really making sacrifices but understanding that those sacrifices are important in the long run. Thank you. Veronica, what uh, what thoughts do you have on that? Where have you found kind of alliances or support? And, and what are some things that, that have been challenging in that way? Yeah, I think in the same in the same way, um, like yeah, being kind of like the only one um, is very difficult when, like, for example, when like the president decided to rescind DACA and I was like, I felt like I was on my own in that way because not even even though I had people to listen to me, it wasn't the same as like having someone understand what what that, what that means, right? It like what it means to like see your like world in a way like crumble down. Um, so that was very hard, I think, emotionally to to get through. Um, and I think one of the things that I've learned is that like there are people that you know are trying to support like people like myself and my community like my professor was one of the biggest i think advocates for the for immigrant rights and having having to do like or like just doing work with him has really empowered me as an individual um so like we've been doing his name is professor um, eric popkin and we've been doing like immigrant detention center work um and so we've actually been able to like go down to detention centers and like do legal services that i would have never had exposure to if i if i you know didn't have that connection with him um and like to see like 
more people, more undocumented folks, like in those kinds of places, is. I mean, it's obviously very, it's very hard to see, but at the same time, to be able to do something about it um, as an undocumented person, like, like because of DACA, um, is is very powerful to me, and that has like given me a sort of like resilience. Like I'm here for like them as well, you know. Um, so pe- having people like him has really helped a lot. Um, and just like having individuals, really it's just like those individuals, even though they're scattered, it's it's very meaningful. And like having like the, we have uh, the, the Spring Stream team in Colorado Springs, and they have also been extremely supportive. It's a group of undocumented youth um, fighting for immigrant rights as well. And like connecting to them because they're mainly outside of my college, connecting to them was like one of the most meaningful things that really just made me survive. <laughs> like this whole past year um, because without like knowing that they were also going through the same things and they were also hurting but they were also continuing to fight was it was very necessary for me to see that Um, so it just it's like very you find these like strings that get scattered all over but it's about like exposing myself has allowed me to find them yeah it's interesting we talk a lot in higher education about the importance of resilience the importance of grit but I think those sound, they can just sound abstract. And what we're really talking about is exactly what you're saying, which is continuing on even when you're not finding all the support in the world, but the thing matters. And so, you know, it's worth it. And then when you do find pockets of support or allies, uh, it just kind of rejuvenates and, and lifts you up. Evelyn, so you were a Newman Civic Fellow uh, when you were a student at Fresno State. You've been with us through the Newman's Own Postgraduate Fellowship. And when you hear Veronica and Alicia talking about the work they're doing, how does that connect to what you're hoping everybody is engaged in across this weekend? First of all, I just want to say I am like amazed every single time I hear a fellow story just talk about what they're doing. Um, it amazes me. And yes, I was a fellow. And when I was a fellow in 2015, um, I I remember when I was recognized, it, it made an impact. Like, oh, wow, I, someone actually noticed that I'm doing something, even though I was also one of the ones standing alone. I think this weekend just can reconfirm to the fellows how much support you can have with this fellowship. Um, when you're when you sit next to someone beside you, they're going to be dealing with the same issues you have. And I and I've ex- expressed it many times to the fellows that like we're here for you now. This fellowship is going to have your back no matter what. And I think that's one of the important things that I want them to take from this um, and just know that we're always going to be here and we're going to have their grip for them. So. All right. Uh, that, and that's true. I mean, I think one of the great things about this weekend is, as Evelyn said, the opportunity for, you know, people working on very different issues, sometimes disagreeing about some fundamental things, but all interested in doing things that are about making their places, this country, the world, better places. Uh, I just want to step, like, take take a little bit of a road backwards with each of you um, and just talk about kind of your the communities you come from and kind of where for you some of the commitments um kind of emerge. So Alicia, tell us like, where did you grow up and, and how do you see a pathway from where you started to what you're doing right now? Wow. Okay. Um, so I grew up in Suffolk, Virginia. I'm the youngest of seven. My commitment to service really began in the last two years of high school. Um, when I started getting more active with my neighborhood's, um, association, 
And for me, it was really when after doing a lot of community service activities, such as volunteering at some of their um, like bingo activities or their Easter egg hunt and their family fun days, just as a support volunteer, the then president of the homeowners association was, he came to me and he said, Alicia, we're having a town hall. And I think it'd be interesting if we had like some younger voices there. And so I said, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. Um, When he said some younger voices, I did not realize I would be the only one. So that was, um, that was very uh, interesting. And it was just really interesting to be able to share my experiences then as a 15, 16 year old with a group of adults who are very like much older, they're homeowners. A lot of them have served on the boards before. And then here I come in this space and they're talking about all the youth, they're always running around messing up my yard and things and and I really brought up I was like have you ever thought that maybe that's because this neighborhood is not very teen friendly it's very friendly for kids K through 5 with all of the little play parks and the pool and things but once you hit about 12 13 it's really hard to have fun in non-destructive ways and so it really I think for the first time hearing a teenager in the room they were like oh maybe that is the case and maybe we need to do more things to engage the teens and I noticed ever since then they've started having like 5k's and volunteer more volunteer opportunities like help cleaning up the neighborhood lakes and things and I'm just like that's what you have to do if you don't want them to knock down your mailbox on purpose (laughs) Um, and so for me that was really empowering um, and it was kind of my first step into being willing to speak up in spaces where I started off very uncomfortable and I found that that has really segued into a lot of what I've done now and being able to talk to city councilmen, talking to state legislators, and even addressing my university's president and board of trustees about the problems that I see with our institution. And I think that because my neighborhood, um, I think is kind of similar in demographics to the University of Richmond, like it's diverse, but very predominantly white and wealthier. I think just really growing up in an environment where I was used to it and learned how to navigate those spaces as someone who realizes I'm different from you, but my voice can still reach you. My voice matters and my voice has a purpose um, really is something that propelled me forward to where I am today. And Veronica, you obviously, you talked about your your own experience as an undocumented person and how that's connected to the work that you're doing. But can you talk a little bit about kind of the community that you grew up in and whether you see that kind of activism among others there? What's What does that look like for the, the community that, that is your home? Um, well, I'm originally from Mexico, but I grew up in Thornton, Colorado, which is a very just small area. And I don't think I was, I did a lot of community service, but didn't do more of the like 
um, like anti-oppression work, I think. I, di- I didn't really see that happening within my own community. Um, I, for, I think for me, like my goal was just to like get to college because I think just as a student, that was like always put in my mind. And then once I got to college and then it became a sociology major, I realized that I wanted to do even more than that, more than just volunteering, um, but also like working to working against um, systematic oppression more yeah just as a as a foundation I guess um, and so that's when I started getting more involved and in, or like starting getting to know where I could do more work that was actually was making change in a way that I felt like wasn't perpetuating the same systems of oppression um, so but then I but then I also started to, to realize that a lot of my community like my undocumented community like throughout the nation not just like back at home has like continuously been doing that um throughout all these years um and like even just like seeing like my family just exist every day and like like be happy in a way is like resistance as well so like my definition of like resisting and of doing the work to me I think has changed a lot um especially seeing them and so um I mean, I'm not sure if I'm getting to, like to to an answer, but I'm still trying to figure out like what that means, like what my community needs. Like, I don't want it to come from me. Like, I want it to come from them um, as well, you know, because I'm just like one voice among all of them, and I just want to use my privilege as now like almost like like you know, grad almost like graduating um, to support that, you know, and actually fight for a system that's like for a solution that is long term. So maybe as a a kind of final issue, as our time is wrapping up, both of you mentioned in different ways, engaging in service, volunteer kind of service, and then making a kind of transition into working toward long-term sustainable change. And I'm wondering, we have a lot of conversations in higher education about, are we talking about service? Are we talking about action? Are we talking about volunteerism? Like, what's the right way? And I'm wondering, do you see like a contrast between service and action? Or do you see action as, like, how do you, how do you think about those things? Like what vocabulary, part of what I'm asking is what vocabulary should old people be using (laughs) to talk to young people about how to get involved, not just in things that are um, that are short term because that's important addressing needs right now that people have that matters but also thinking about the way both of you are about changing systems for the long term what's the right language to use to reach students to get them thinking in, in those directions well for me I feel like I always considered my civic engagement and my community service as forms of action um I really enjoy doing service because it helps to set the foundation of knowledge that you need and it allows you to get hands on with those very systems of oppression and inequality that you want to um, counteract. And then from there, for me, civic engagement has been taking what I've learned from that experience doing service and applying that 
to the broader social structures and power structures. So, um, again, like talking to government officials and I've found lately, like I'm very interested in social movements. I'm actually writing a thesis on that right now. I've really, really started thinking about the, the, viability and uh, productivity of, you know, different hashtags, of organizations, of even rallies and marches, because I feel that sometimes talking is good, but sometimes a demonstration, something that's visible that'll capture wider attention from the public can be even more impactful because it's one thing for me to tell a legislator about an issue, but when I have a group supporting that can basically testify in addition to what I have to say, I think that that plays a role. But I think at its base, you have to have that service. I think you shouldn't go into taking action on an issue without knowing and seeing it. I think a lot of people think because they've read about educational inequality in a book that they understand it. But I'm like, this is just qualitative data that they're telling you about. But when you go and actually see it for yourself, you see what they've said, but then you see other things that they haven't mentioned. And it actually makes you even more knowledgeable. Like the book learning is important, but the act of learning and the experiential learning is even more powerful in the long run. Um, yeah, I think to to kind of add to that, I think it depends on where you're at, because I think a lot of that is very relevant to like college students, because a lot of them like, yeah, you read it in a book, but it's not the same as like actually going and seeing as you're saying. Um, but I think even before like going in there, I think it takes a lot of like self-reflection on like your positionality and like where you're coming from before going into a like a like a, a space that is not your own right um and not like taking it over you know to avoid taking it over really um so i think definitely just in addition to that um to, to have people keep in mind that as well um just because like if you're going to that space like go in there to listen and like um, you know and, and like actually like have you have an open mind about what you're gonna go into right um and i think for as far as like I, I, I really just think that it takes like action is just so different in like different spaces like action like in my like family for example is like having them just like like listen to what I'm to you know to like what I've learned like for example and like for me to like listen to their experiences and like how they've um, manifested uh, like that resistance and that action in ways that they don't even realize right um, so it's just like small things right like for my family it's like working every day that's like what they can do right but and like but that is resistance in my eyes right um, and I think for for different people it just mean it just really means different things and you have to just utilize your privileges in the ways that you can, um, depending on where you're at. Well, Alicia, Veronica, thank you so much for those insights, for all the work that you've been doing that has led you to, to be here. Thank you for joining us on the Compact Nation podcast. 
Evelyn, thank you for the terrific work that you've done over a number of years, including for Campus Compact this year and helping to make this event happen. Uh, it's just really great to, to be with all of you and uh, looking forward to a great weekend. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, what a wonderful interview with those two amazing students. Andrew and Emily, what are some of your thoughts about the interview with the students? I, it was so interesting. And I, I just have to give a shout out to I love listening to the moment a person uh, recognizes how important local government is. <laughs> so to hear the um them do that and just sort of talk about like, listen, this is where there's the most power of your lives. And again, I think we've talked about this before. That's something it took me a while to recognize. I think lots of people, it takes a while to recognize if ever that that matters so much. And so to hear a student having that realization and um, seeing the power you can have at that level was very cool. Yeah, I, I was struck by something that was kind of a, a theme that we explored throughout the weekend. And this conversation actually happened kind of before we got into any of the activities, but I felt like it, it set the table for it, which is really thinking through when are there opportunities to sit down and listen to others and talk together and find solutions? And when do you need to stand up and fight against things that are wrong, against injustice? And I did think it was really interesting that, you know, I think one of the things Alicia discovered is that frequently at the local level in particular, if you show up and can help people in positions of responsibility understand what's actually going on, they are they appreciate that. And often they're just kind of casting about looking for ways to make their communities better. And so if you're there, if you're willing to participate, if you put in the time, if you find some ways to share perspectives that reach out and speak in a language that somebody else can understand, you have great opportunities to move things forward. It's also true uh, that on the kinds of issues that Veronica has been engaged on, there are people who are determined to make life worse for, for example, undocumented immigrants or whatever. And there may not be a lot of space at the front end, at least for negotiation. You actually have to create that space through direct action, uh, through organization, through protest, whatever it may be. But I just thought they were both really thoughtful about the work they were doing and about uh, un understanding and respecting other people, but also the opportunities uh, and the, the space you have to get work done. Yeah, I think what I was most struck by was their um, sort of finding a voice, right? And um, even if they were the only one and being able to stand steadfast in, in that. I, I remember Alicia talking about how, you know, when she would go to the city council uh, meetings and inviting people, but, you know, people were not necessarily interested in going. And she's like, well, I'm still going to go and I'm still going to be there and present. And so, you know, even if... Uh, you extend the opportunity to others, understanding that there are going to be some points where you have to um, stand on your own um, or participate as others develop their own agency um, to participate. And, um, you know, I think on the other end, it's also the power of community. And so um, 
the opportunity to find other undocumented um, students who were speaking out and, uh, you know, unapologetic and unafraid was also very powerful. So those sort of opposite ends of finding your your voice and being willing to stand with it, but also the power of finding community um, and what comes about in terms of, um, you know, even giving you the reinforcement you need to, to continue in the struggle and the work. Another thing that just uh, struck me was, um, and, and I've been struck by this in conversations with lots of students, other young people in in the last couple of years, is that, so I think um, there's this sort of debate in, you know, the kind of the academic literature about service learning, civic engagement that I might associate with like Randy Stoker's um, work that, that sort of imagine some sharp distinction between service and action, between work that engages students in meeting the needs of people around them and work that engages students in seeking underlying policy change, structural change, whatever. And I just, you know, find that in real life, that distinction doesn't actually hold up very well. And I thought they were really good in just listening to Alicia and Veronica there was a way that they just moved back and forth between the language of service and the language of action or change, in part because they think of service not as being one person to another person, but as being people in service to their community. And that means service to a vision of what that community ought to be like. And sometimes you realize that vision by making sure that no individuals are being left behind and that their individual needs are being met. And sometimes you realize that vision by changing the underlying realities such that there's less of that overall in the future, but those are not opposed projects. They're interlocking projects. And it would be weird to pursue the policy change while just forgetting about the people, uh, just as it would be short-sighted to just meet people's individual needs without thinking about how we change the underlying conditions. But I just thought it was one of those times where like we at some level, meaning like academics or people who work in academia or whatever, get involved in a lot of uh, discussions that may just not relate to when you start getting involved in work in the real world, just what, what questions are actually relevant. Well, yeah, and I think, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that they're both women of color and talking about that, right, connection and that moving back and forth. And and I think that um, that is often the experience for students of color who are doing this community engagement work and being able to think about it not only from the sort of piece of service, but also how does this impact my community in real meaningful ways and, and how am I a, a part of it? And I feel like oftentimes in this field, we don't make those distinctions for um, those students. And that is a part of their reality because oftentimes it's their communities who are on the receiving end, right, of much of the uh, service or charity that we, uh, we seek to bestow. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think they also described it as a way of their action really being authentic because they were very interested in making sure they knew the issues, had seen the issues, and a lot of cases had experienced the issues before they were kind of taking action for these bigger um, policy changes and that kind of thing. And I do think that that's really important. Again, as you pointed out, Marisol, there's not necessarily this distinction between the person 
providing a service and the person needing a service. They're the same um, in, in many cases like these. But also, you know, just it, again, it's not very authentic to try to change something that you haven't really taken the time to understand and see up close. Yeah. The other piece I was struck uh, by, um, what's the student's name who's from Colorado? Veronica. Veronica. Uh, her discussion about sacrifice. I was like practically in tears and thinking yeah. about like, you know, the community she belongs to, how they've sacrificed for her, right, to, to be in that position um, in, in higher education. And so the sacrifice that she's making coming out as undocumented and speaking to these issues is small in comparison to, um, you know, what she feels her community has, has experienced. And I think that's, those are really powerful words and this idea of, of, of sacrifice and, um, that oftentimes when we're engaging in this kind of, uh, change, it's not from sort of a comfortable chair, you know, behind a computer, but it is really being out there and, and vulnerable, um, and what sacrifice that means in terms of time. And, you know, even, um, you know, even things as serious as immigration policy. Yeah. I think keeping in mind that reality of the often immense pressure on first generation students to kind of live up to what their family has needed to do for them to have the opportunity and that kind of thing. It's just, it's huge, but it's also clear that giving them alongside other students, the opportunity to demonstrate that they have a lot to give and that they can give that and, you know, help facilitate that process of, um, you know, feeling like you're coming through on that sacrifice in ways that benefit people other than you individually is clearly so important. I also, I mean, just in the context of a larger public discussion, which often, you know, imagines students as, you know, snowflakes or whatever the language is, right? Like, I don't know many people who have the courage, you know, when we're, what we're talking about is potentially being uh, removed from the only country you have known, right? Like that is what is actually at stake for people who are willing to stand up on this issue. That is enormously courageous. Like that, that is it's just a fundamental kind of courage to stand up and say, I need to do that for the good of all of us to, again, to um, be true to the, the sacrifices that others have made on my behalf. And, you know, I, I think we often are unaware Right. We'll hear stories of individuals who get targeted on social media or whatever. People are taking real risks, uh, whether the risk that the government's power will be turned against them or the risk that people who are unhappy with what they're saying will really interfere with their lives in profound ways. And often they don't talk about the risks they're taking because they don't want to encourage more people to jump on board. But I, I just think it's, you know, so distant from the, the image that is often uh, created of students who, uh, you know, need to hide away from controversy. I just don't see that from these students. And, you know, I think also the, the power of this recognition, right, of being selected by their universities yes. to participate in this and what that, you know, broader connection to other students who are active on campus, especially if. If you are feeling that you are the only one or one of a few on campus who are doing this work. And and so, um, you know, I think it's powerful for them to be 
recognized. Um, yeah. And kudos to, you know, the colleges and universities who selected these students to participate in this and, and really see the value that they get um, from not only the recognition, but the ability to come together and be part of it. Yeah, that came through loud and clear, and I think is an important way for presidents and others on campus to think about how they're using opportunities like this one to recognize students that maybe they can't um, in other forums or can't always come through on what those students need or that kind of thing. But this is an opportunity to say that you see them and you see that what they're doing matters. And it encourages, you know, more um students, but also for those students who have participated to continue this work even after they graduate, like their development of, of uh, a citizen identity, right? Um, a social justice identity, uh, a community uh, identity doesn't just stop when they graduate, but it is something that, you know, I think this kind of program encourages them to, to continue uh, as part of their life's work. Yeah. And I'll just throw in just one of those, um, a look behind the curtain. You know, we we talked about the fact that we were raising money for Giving Tuesday, et cetera. Um, you know, one of the things we spend a bunch of money on every year is this conference. We put all the students up. We pay for all their food and all that because we want to reduce the cost so that more students can participate from from any institution. We aren't able right now to pay their travel expenses. That's something we'd love to be able to do. Um, and many institutions are very generous and support the students in coming here. But other students raise their own money uh, in order to make it possible. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think just when when we're thinking about how we support these folks, there's a lot of a lot of people helping to enable the participation of a very broad and diverse group of students uh, in this program. Absolutely. And um, yeah, kudos to those who donated on Giving Tuesday. We will still accept your money uh, if you want to continue to do it. <laughs> Please That's do. Right. Also, also, the, the nominee call, call for nominations for next year's fellows is open right now, right? It is. You can go to compact.org and find out about the Newman Civic Fellows Program. Uh, the nominations come from presidents and chancellors, but obviously anybody on a campus can help call it to their attention and uh, let them know that you'll help participate in the process to select uh, a student who will really represent your institution well and and hopefully get some things from the fellowship experience that they can bring back to your campus, to the local community, and make them even more effective in their, their change-making work and, and supporting, uh, yeah, the kind of campus and community that, that you want to have. Okay. All right, we out of here. I think we are. Well, folks, uh, that's about it for our time on this uh, podcast. Thanks for uh, joining and participating. Um, you can find us on hashtag compact nation pod. You can also email us at podcast at compact.org if you have any ideas for shows. And then don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. Nation podcast is produced by Molly Leeper, Communications Manager for Campus Compact. Campus Compact is based in Boston, Massachusetts, and has over a thousand member colleges and universities across the country and beyond. 
If you want to learn more about Campus Compact, visit us at compact.org. You can send your comments, questions, and show ideas to podcast at compact.org or find us on social media with hashtag compactnationpod or find us on social media with hashtag compactnationpod. You can find our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and tell your friends.